Welcome to the Everything Leafs podcast, 2020 edition. Nick, this is the second straight episode where the Leafs have gotten a point in every game the previous week. No, their last regulation loss was on December 12th. Is it safe to say you're in a good mood today? Oh, definitely in a big, uh, good mood. Uh, yesterday was a big win there. Today, Canada won gold. Uh, this morning, Sandine winning bronze and scoring a, a big goal and I think it's three goals now in two games to, to end off the World Junior, so definitely in a good mood. Yeah, I think it's the best time of year, especially when the Leafs are winning, because, I mean, between Sandine, Robertson, um, I want to talk about a bit about the World Juniors today, but let's start how we how we always start here with the three stars. So we've had, we took last week off, we're, we're slacking a little bit here, but we had a few more games than we're used to seeing. Um, just as a result. So they had that, they started off with a 5-4 overtime win against New Jersey, uh, followed that up with a 5-4 loss against the Rangers. They had the, I would say, a pretty convincing win against the Wild. Uh, They beat the Jets in there as well. And then the other night we saw a a nice Hutchison win, a Hutchison shutout from the Islanders. So who are your three stars across these five games? Uh, I'll go Pierre Engvall uh, as my first star. He's a guy that's kind of pinned on that third line right now and he's done very well I think he's done very good in transition we see those long strides and he's a pretty good puck carrier uh, and he's kind of carried that over from the AHL over to the NHL quite nicely he's also chipped in on a bunch of in a, a few goals uh, in the last five games he has three goals and, and yesterday's goal was a nice one with with the nice little cap and Deke. my my second star is uh, William Nylander who I mean before yesterday he because his streak was stopped, but he is on absolute fire right now. All the people that said that he was going to turn it around this year, including himself, are now looking really good. Yeah, he's my he's my first star. He's your first star? Uh, yeah, I think he has to be. Like Five goals in the last five games. He's had five assists in the last five games. I mean, no points against the Islanders, but uh, just the way he's kind of bounced back. I thought he was pretty good last year, but it's been something else this year. So, sorry, who's your third? Yeah, my third star is Michael Hutchison. Uh, third straight win last night, uh, first shutout of the year, and I mean, he had a lot of doubters, and I think his biggest believers were Sheldon Keefe and and Kyle Dubas, and they've stuck with with him, and he's rewarded them. And you know, all we wanted was a win for a backup goalie, and last night they put him up against a good team in the Islanders. Might not be the best offensive team, but still a very good team in their own right, uh, and. Hutchison came up big for them. Who are your other two stars? So I had Hutchison as well. I think so. It's been five games since we last recorded, and he's had two wins. So they had the nice overtime win against New Jersey. Uh, I I think people were a bit too tough on him. I think just with the Leafs backup goalie in general, uh, I thought the Leafs were atrocious defensively against the Devils. Uh, the first goal from Heischer was off the post and in. Uh, they still found a way to win, which is great, and I thought Hutchison actually made some key saves there down the stretch. And uh, I mean, it was nice to see him get a shutout against the Islanders against a playoff team. Uh, I just think it's it's great for his confidence, and I think he deserves it. I mean, they they kind of earlier in the season he was playing back to backs against teams like Washington and Boston. It just felt like they were kind of putting him in a position to fail, and uh, it's nice to see him. He was first benefiting from some easier matchups, but to get a, a big game against the Islanders and get a win, I think he deserves a star for that. So I had him as my second star, and then my third star, I put Matthews there. Uh, he's got four goals, four assists over his last five games. 
I think he's been just incredible this year in terms of his ability to find the back of the net. Uh, probably the best for a shot in hockey. He's kind of added a slap shot as well. Uh, so I put Matthews there as well. Any complaints there, Nick? Definitely no complaints. When you're, when you're winning as much as the Leafs are right now, you can't really have complaints. Um, and to add to what you said, he has that wrist shot. He has that slap shot. And now Matthews, did you see that tip last night? I, I was trying to figure out how he did that off that Marner pass. It was beautiful. The goals last night were crazy just because the first goal, that cap and assist, as you mentioned earlier, and then the Matthews tip. I mean, I guess Hyman's empty netter wasn't all that nice, but the other two are just amazing. And those were really the only two key goals of the game. So uh, always nice when you get a shutout and you see some some highlight real goals as well. And I think after the first two goals, they, they kind of caught us by surprise. Like definitely the cap and that deke I did not see coming. And then the Matthews goal came out of nowhere. So it was nice to have some some equilibrium at the end with the the classic Hyman empty netter. So I want to get into, I mean, it's a bit of a weird stretch right now because we have no losses to talk about. Um, they had one overtime loss against the Rangers, which is a team I think they should have beat. But right now, it's tough to complain all that much as a Leafs fan. They haven't lost in regulation since December 12th. That was the game where kind of blew it in the third period against Calgary. Um, they had a couple losses at the start of the month on a back-to-back with Philly and Colorado, but that was a month ago. So from a Leafs fan perspective, it, it's tough to complain all that much. Um, but overall, if, it, it's kind of been a bit of a roller coaster season for the Leafs. And I want to get your overall thoughts on the team basically through the first half. So they've played 43 games. They're 24-14-5. They're just six, pa- six points back of Boston now. Uh, Tampa's three points back with three in hand, but I think we can say overall this is about what we expected. Uh, Would you agree with that? Yeah, all in all. I think that when you look at that first half of the season, I mean, it's quite easy to split it into two halves. One, the the pre-Keefe era, and now the post-Keefe era. So when you look at the post-Keefe era, they've met with some injuries, and they've still won a number of games. Now, I know they haven't had significant injuries. They've their top six has been quite healthy, except for Andreas Janssen, but they're still able to to win games and, and play quite well. I know in the past couple of games they've been outshot a little bit more and they're kind of they're kind of eliminating high danger chances, but and, and really scoring on their chances, which is okay, especially with how good they are at scoring in limited chances. But I mean all in all you have to be happy with how it's been with Keith. I mean they're they're winning a ton and I mean, now you look at the standings and they have a real shot with however many games, I think it's about 41 games left, to catch Boston for that top spot in the division. Which would be great. I mean, if, if they could do that, what like if you don't have to play Boston or Tampa, I'm just thrilled at this point. So, I mean, there is a chance. Boston's a little bit hurt right now. Maybe you have a chance. I think if you... Let's say that I was traveling for the first half of the year and I wasn't following the Leafs and then I came back and just looked at the standings. I think this is about what I'd expect with you know, Boston, Toronto, Tampa in the top three spots. You have Florida, Buffalo just behind them and then uh, right at the bottom, Ottawa and Detroit. So I think this is what you'd expect if you just kind of started following the team now and you're kind of asleep for the first half of the year, but... Overall, it's it's certainly, I mean, they're 9-0-1 in their last 10. Uh, 
I do think that it's hard to be overly negative as a Leafs fan right now. Um, do you have any concerns from this team? I imagine they'd be on the defensive end. Um, what's your thoughts on, I guess, the Leafs' style of play? And not just their style of play, but how they're playing defensively. I think it's extremely different from what we've saw, seen before. And now that we have a decent sample of kind of the Leafs with Keefe, we see what they like to do. They like to... Um, really, the defensemen like to jump up into the play. They like to hold both their blue lines. And I guess one, I wouldn't say criticism of it, but they get caught on a lot of two-on-ones. Uh, not so much actually this week, but I know like last week and the week before, they we kind of had that stretch where we were seeing a lot of odd man rushes and breakaways. And I think they've tidied that up to a certain extent. Now we see them in a lot of foot races kind of coming back. We see Dermot, we see Hall... Um, kind of coming back and it gets it looks a little bit wild but they do have decent enough skaters to kind of play that style where they're pinching in the offensive zone and then they have to kind of skate back in the neutral zone to, to clear up any sort of problems there so I think that would be my major criticism right now and it's tough to kind of judge the defense too hard in the last week and a half because Muzzin's been gone and he's arguably their best their best defenseman right now. So I'm a little bit conservative in terms of criticizing them right now, but I'd like to hear what you think. Yeah, so you made a few points. Some I agree, some I'm not sure if I agree. I don't think I necessarily disagree. But one thing I'll say is I do agree that Muzzin is such a key part of this team. He's the player who I really want everyone paired with. Like I think Hall plays well with him. I think Riley plays well with him. I think he can babysit Barry in the defensive end. So... I think getting him back will be key, and, and I do have a bit of an excuse from that regard. In terms of it being extremely different, I'm not so sure. I mean, they are a little bit more aggressive in terms of their defensemen, and I do think that they sometimes get caught as a result. Now, part of that I'm okay with. I think it's it's a matter of they're going to generate more offense, so you'll you'll accept the fact that you're going to give up more scoring chances. But I think the Leafs, for, for years now, have been a below-average defensive team, so I do think it's it's pretty similar in that regard, where if you just look, like, you look at the chances they give up. I know that everyone says that they're, you know, limiting these high-danger chances. I'm not sure that's the case on most nights. I think it's maybe been the case against Minnesota, against the Islanders, uh, two teams that don't really have great offense. But, uh, like, I look at that New Jersey game, that New York game, even that Carolina game, and I say, you know, I don't think they were really limiting the chances. And I will say that... The Leafs' schedule has been a little bit easier over these last few weeks, and I'm just not like I would like to see them rack up a few big wins against maybe tougher opponents like Boston or Tampa. Of course, it's not their fault. It's not their fault that they weren't playing those teams, but I, I do still have some some slight concerns to say, at least slight concerns about this team defensively. Yeah, I mean, you, you can definitely pick and choose your games, and it, it's tough to kind of criticize them based on one or two games of allowing a lot of high danger chances but I think when you look at it as a whole the Leafs be you know under Babcock were a team that were allowing a lot of high danger chances and now since they're kind of become more of an average team somewhere in the middle of the league in terms of uh, expected goals uh, even straight so I think all in all they've become better but of course there's always going to be those 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 games that are kind of the outliers yeah, I don't think, like, 
when I think of this team defensively, I'm not so much thinking about it in terms of Babcock versus Keefe. I know Keefe's style is a little bit more aggressive in terms of getting the defenseman to jump up. Um, but I'm more concerned, like, from a personnel perspective, uh, when you have, I mean, Riley Berry, I, I find them pretty much forwards out there. Uh, Cody Cece is another one of your defensemen. I think Dermott's good. I don't know if he's played outstanding this year, but, uh, like, I have some faith in Dermott, but I'd say he's more of a puck mover than a defensive defenseman at this point. Uh, I do think that they probably would greatly benefit from from adding a pretty good defenseman. I don't know if that comes internally or if they make a move. Um, And then even up front, like, Tavares and Matthews, I think Tavares really took a step forward defensively last year when he took that shutdown role and, and really excelled with it. Not really sure that he's a defense-first type of player. I think he's still kind of offensive is his calling card. I think with Matthews and Spezza, offense is the calling card. I wouldn't mind adding a player or two that can kind of excel defensively um, just to make it a little bit easier on the Leafs. I mean, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, they're going to score goals, and sometimes they can they can make up for a few defensive mistakes from their teammates, but I wouldn't mind one or two more players that kind of excel defensively. One guy, your first star this week, Engvall, I think he's brought something to the table defensively. I wouldn't mind one more guy uh, that can do just that, because I do think if they can just improve the defensive game a little bit, it would take a little bit pressure, a little bit of pressure off their scores. When it comes to their forwards and adding a forward, it's the, the Leafs almost have a good problem where they now have so many of these depth guys that have come up. Engvall comes to mind. Uh, Mikheyev has really stepped up. Um, Trevor Moore's injured and he still needs to come up. So in terms of what that forward group needs, it's I think it's a little bit difficult to say that they need someone because we really haven't seen them at full health. Um, you know, a guy like Mikheyev, he's going to go back to that third line once they're once they're completely okay the fourth line which i know we're going to talk about we haven't really seen them at full strength especially with Engval up uh and more together and and some of those guys so i'll disagree with you there that they need a defensive player in that forward group i think obviously well i'm not i'm not saying specifically the forward group but i will say with makayev i think he was quite good at at playing high and in the offensive zone and being that defensive conscience uh, of course, we don't know if he's going to be back at all this season. He might be be gone for the the rest of the season in playoffs. So I, I do think that was a pretty significant loss for them. Uh, I think up front, you have so many options, whether it's Marchment, Brooks, uh, it, maybe Bracco, who knows, uh, Agostino. Like, there's so many different players that could probably play in a, in a role if needed, uh, yet alone when guys like Moore and Janssen come back. like They're just kind of loaded up front. So I don't see a forward addition happening. Uh, I'd be more focused on the back end. I'm just wondering, like, do you go for a rental? Do you go for uh, someone with multiple years? Do you just call up Sandine? Like, there's so many options there. And then I guess the other question is, like, I know you, you wanted to talk about Travis Dermott's ice time today, so... Uh, we can get into that as well here. It's just a matter of, like, what do you do with the defense? Uh, I'm just not sure, and, I, and I've said this repeatedly here, is I'm just not sure what the playoff pairings end up being. Yeah, they definitely have some figuring out to do there. And like you said, they have a few options in terms of 
Do they trade Cody Cece, which is something we've, I feel like we almost talk about that extensively on this podcast. And we're almost just waiting for a trade like that to happen where hopefully Cece gets traded and for potentially a, a defenseman that can play on the right side and play alongside Riley. But I think, again, that's dreamland and we're just waiting on that. But if they aren't able to make a Cody CC trade, then things look a little bit more kind of smoky there. It's a little bit more mysterious on what's going to happen and what those playoff lines are going to look like. This week, um, Chris Johnston said that Rasmus Sandin could potentially be playing with the Leafs uh, this season. And, you know, it got me thinking and thinking about what the potential lines would be if Sandin is with the team at, with a health, healthy lineup. Because on the left side, you already have Riley, Muzzin, and Dermott on that left side. And so Sandin would most likely be on that left side, obviously. Now, I know a lot of people would say that the easiest fix is Travis Dermott. And this is where Travis Dermott's ice time is, comes into play. Uh, I think a lot of people, including myself, expected Dermott's ice time to go up under Sheldon Keefe. And it really hasn't gone up very much, if at all. Um, so to say that I know an easy fix that a lot of people kind of say is to put Dermott on the right side, somewhere we've seen him play in small samples at the NHL level. But to put Dermott on the right side and in the top four seems like kind of a big jump right now, considering Keefe isn't really playing him too much on the left side on that third pairing. So I'm, I'm pretty curious to know how Sandine would play with the Leafs, uh, especially when Muzzin comes back. So I'm going to start with Dermott here. So I'm just looking at his game logs here. So he actually played 18 minutes against the Islanders, which was a little bit more than we've seen recently. Uh, games before... Uh, 13-47 against Winnipeg, 11-12 against the Wild, 14-50 against the Rangers. Uh, he was under 15 minutes against the Devils and, and Hurricanes too. So, And that's without Jake Muzzin. So even though Muzzin is out, we haven't really seen Dermott's ice time take a rise. Uh, I think there are some valid reasons for that. One is you're still not going to play him on the power play. Uh, you're still not going to play him on the top penalty kill unit. So... Uh, He's still not going to get a big bump in special teams time. But in terms of five-on-five, five, they've gone with Marinson and Hall kind of as the shutdown pair. Um, one thing I'll say in Keefe's defense here is I think he needs a strong puck mover to play next to Cody Ceci. Uh, I, don't, I don't like the sounds of a Marinson-Ceci pairing. I just don't think they'd be competent enough as puck movers. I think he'd spend the whole shift in, in your own end uh, more often than you'd like. So I do get why Dermott's paired with CeCe. I do get why CeCe's playing less. Uh, I do understand also the complaints why Dermott's not playing more, but he is behind in a healthy lineup two pretty good defensemen in Riley and, and Muzzin. Now, I'm open to moving Dermott to that right side, maybe next to someone like Jake Muzzin. Um, maybe you give Justin Hull to Morgan Riley just to have someone who can defend a little bit better than Tyson Berry. I don't know. Um, what's your thoughts on, like, Sandine's coming back from, from the World Juniors now. Would you send him to the Marlies? Uh, I'll bring him up to the Leafs until Muzzin is healthy again. And then I think it gets a little... Then you probably send him back to the Marlies. But I think then if you can bring Sandine up, then you do have a puck mover that is alongside CeCe. So 
in Sandine, so you can kind of move Dermot around. Yeah, and I think I've liked, like, even last year, I've said this a few times, where I liked Muzzin with Riley, even though Riley was on his offside. I just think they complement each other well. Uh, you're going to be playing Riley big minutes anyways. So for me, that just kind of makes some sense. Now, I don't know if you move Riley to the right side or if you move Dermot to the right side, uh, but at some point, it feels something has to give. Uh, especially, like, when I look towards next season, I feel like this team is going to re-sign Jake Muzzin. I feel like they need his style of play. They need a shutdown guy. Uh, but he is a left-shooting defenseman. And, and you look behind him on the depth, ch- depth chart, and you got Riley, Sandine, Dermot all on the left side. So at some point, someone is going to have to move to the right side, or you're going to see a trade. I think someone moving to the right side is more likely. Now, I saw your tweet today with in terms of your defense pairs, if Sandine is in the lineup. So you had Muzzin Hall, Riley Dermott, Sandine Barry. So that would be, again, CC would have to be either moved or, or scratched. I'm not sure which is more likely. Uh, honestly, I could see either happening. Um, but what specifically do you like about those pairings? I know you like the Muzzin Hall pairing. So are you? it sounds like you're ready to give Riley Dermott a shot. Uh, yeah, so I mean, kind of the... The background or the purpose of that tweet was to show how it's not really a straightforward process to just bring Sandine up in a healthy lineup. Things still need to occur. The CC trade is something we've all talked about, but it's still something that needs to happen. Uh, and it would be a big move. Yeah. So, And then, of course, Dermot would have to be on his offside and, in this scenario, go into the top four and get top four minutes. Now... Just because he's in the top four doesn't mean he's going to have a huge increase. I mean, when you have a third pairing of Sandine and Barry, I think there's a little bit more kind of parity between the ice between the ice time um, at 5-on-5 five five between the pairings. Now, with Muzzin and Hall, I think as soon as Muzzin comes back, that needs to be a staple in the Leafs' defense. Um, I think that that's the pairing you go with in the playoffs against the other team's top lines. Um, and the more time that those two can play with each other, the better. So as soon as Muzzin comes back, I think Hall and Muzzin need to be together. Uh, so going to the second pairing now with Riley and Dermot, I think that's something I'm ready to to kind of try out. My biggest thing is having Barry on that third pairing come the playoff come playoffs, um, so that you can kind of shelter him and put him in more into a more offensive role. So. Just by default, you'd have to have Riley and Dermot, and I think they're both mobile. Dermot can defend his blue lines well enough and has good gap control, and hopefully that can kind of make up for Riley's lack of that. So that's where I would like to see it. But again, the purpose of that tweet was more to say that ideally on paper that lineup looks pretty good, but a lot of things would still have to happen. Yeah, the one thing I like about the Riley-Dermot pairing is I find that... Riley's pairing right now with Barry, I find they have a very tough time defending the zone, like in terms of zone entries. Uh, they both kind of back up, give away the zone. And I think one thing Dermot's good at is is stepping up, kind of defending the the chance before even get before it even gets started, before he even yeah. gets into the zone. Right, defending uh, his blue lines. Yeah, Marinson's good at that as well, and I've kind of liked having Marinson around just because he can penalty kill and he can defend the line. Um it's, it's kind of funny seeing him in, in sometimes shut down minutes with Justin Hall, um, given that he was just on the Marlies. But 
Uh, I do think he brings something to the table there at least. Now, I guess my concern is it feels like this team needs another Jake Muzzin. It feels like they need a a guy that can play shutdown minutes, that can be on the penalty kill, almost like a better version of Cody Cece. Like I don't, I don't think Cece has the wrong skill set. I just don't think he can do it against tough competition. Um, I've actually think Cece's been okay this year as a third pairing guy. I just think they need a little bit more there. Um, and I don't know if if Sandine is really the perfect solution for that. Like he's still a teenager. He's probably more advanced offensively than he is defensively at this point. I don't think he'd really be a huge player on the penalty kill. Uh, CC is really the right-handed option on the penalty kill right now. I guess you could use Justin Hall in the in the top pair role, but I just I don't love the idea of having the 19 year old be the savior. But I do think he's a heck of a player. I would like to see more of him just to try it out, just to see if it would work ahead of the deadline. But uh, I'm also kind of open to some sort of deadline trade where you either go for a rental. Um, it doesn't have to be a, a great rental. It could be someone like Sammy Vatanen. Uh, personally, I'd, I'd, I'm not a huge fan of Vatanen. I think I'd rather have like someone like David Savard, uh, someone like Jeff Petrie. If if the Habs move on, he's got a year and a half remaining. They're going to be out of a playoff spot this year. It looks like uh, that's a player who I'd be. I'd have my eyes on at least. So I'm wondering, in terms of if the Leafs do choose to give Sandine the whole year in the AHL, if if they make an addition at the deadline, whether it's a Muzzin type trade or a rental, who are you prepared to deal? First, I thought it's funny that you brought up Petrie. I was looking at him earlier this this week, actually, uh, at Cap Friendly. The biggest problem I had with Petrie, and you know, I guess Montreal kind of has could become sellers at the deadline, kind of the way their season's going. But the big problem I have with Petrie is his cap hit, and it's at five point five. So I was trying to find out scenarios or trying to figure out scenarios of how the Leafs would be able to fit him in. Um, it almost feels like they'd have to shed some cap if if he came so uh, i'd like to your opinion on what a trade would look like for for petrie for example well he's got a year and a half left i think the habs are a team that has had cap space for quite some time so i think how the deal would probably work was you'd ask them to retain similar to what happened with barry um there's a few things i'm interested in like in terms of creativity here uh one was at the start of the year when it wasn't really working with barry uh, the Leafs said that you know if it continues not to work, they'll they'll look to to make a move. Like they they consider trading him. And ever since, particularly since Keith took over, he started to rack up points. And I think uh, some of that is just he's gotten more opportunity on the power play. Some of that is just uh, more shooting luck. Some of it is is just a little bit more freedom in terms of jumping into the play. But for me, Barry isn't like. I find with him and Riley, they have a very similar skill set where they should both be playing second pair minutes. Uh, you you want them really driving play offensively, uh, and you want them playing with with someone who has a bit of a defensive conscience. And I find like their their weaknesses kind of multiply when they're played together. Um, I I just haven't liked that pairing defensively. I'd be open to moving Barry if they could get another defenseman back. Like say say you got a first 
for Barry. Say you say, trade him to Colorado, you got a first. Then using that first and putting him in a, in a Petri deal, like something, if you get creative enough, I'd be interested. I think it's probably a little bit on the unrealistic side, but uh, I am open to moving Johnson for the right defenseman as long as it's not a rental. I'm open to moving Kapanen. I think I'd, I'd have a little bit higher of a price on Kapanen. Um, and even, like, I like Trevor Moore, but if that's what it cost, I'd be open to it. The guys who I really don't want to move or are Rasmus Sandin, Nick Robertson, and even Timothy Lilligren, because I think Lilligren's playing well, but I am open to moving one of their wingers just because of the depth if they can get the right defenseman in return. Yeah, I think this, uh, that's a good segue because I wanted to talk about the possibility of trading Janssen and Kapanen for a defenseman. Now, for me, when I look at last year, Neilander was kind of put in a lot of trade proposals. He, was, he, had a, he had a rough start to the year and with everything going on, he and everyone was trading was trading him um and to say the least to say the least yeah and we saw Kapanen play well with Matthews in a small sample and everyone was saying we can trade Nylander now he's now expendable and Kapanen can now play that top six role so I think one of the most difficult things is seeing players play well in in small samples and then almost deciding can, is this something that is going to occur long term or is this just kind of a small sample and, and a lot of noises involved. And I think we're starting to see that now with Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev. And now he got injured, but before he got injured, everyone was saying that Janssen was expendable and Kapanen was expendable. Now, when it comes to Janssen, he's a guy that played very well with uh, Matthews and Nylander last year in the top six. And he's a guy that, Obviously, the, the organization trusts quite a bit, given his contract. Now, this year, he has had a slow start. He has a really low shooting percentage at even strength. Um, he, Despite being on that Matthews, Nylander, and Janssen line, that was quite good, even when Babcock was the coach at the beginning of the season. They were kind of the bright spot. A lot of people are really low on Janssen now, and I just look at that this scenario of, let's say, potentially elevating a guy like Engvall to play in the top six. I just see that as a similar scenario to the proposals that we saw last year where we're trusting small samples of Kapanen playing well with Matthews and, and now all of a sudden we want to ship off Nylander. When it comes to Janssen, he's a guy that I think is quite a... Uh, he can play a heavy style. I think that he doesn't get enough credit for it, to be honest. And... He's a guy, he's a seventh rounder who was good in the SHL, who came over to the Marlies and really grew into the player that he is today under Sheldon Keefe. Now, he's been injured since Keefe got hired. So I think it'd be a huge disservice to him and, and to the organization to trade Janssen when he's kind of on a low, especially considering that Sheldon Keefe is now the coach of the Leafs, a guy that can clearly get a lot out of him as he was one of the best players. He was the best player on the Marlies the year that they won. So I'm pretty against trading Janssen. I'm not too concerned with the Janssen-Keefe connection. Like They're not going to trade Janssen when he's on LTIR. Um, he's going to play before he's traded, even if he is traded. Like he, You're going to see him in a Leafs uniform again. Um, I, I'd say there's a 100% chance. Like He's already practicing. So you're going to get a look at it. I think Janssen's a good player. I think everyone knows he's a good player. Um, he's a middle six winger in some capacity. It's just a matter of 
where you, you put him, really. Like, do you think he's a high-end second-line winger? Do you think he's a low-end second-line winger? Uh, do you think he's a high-end third-line winger? I think there's a little bit of a gray area there, but uh, from Janssen's perspective, I think he's a well-rounded player. He goes to the nets. He can penalty kill. He can uh, he can help your power play. Um, I will say that whether it's Janssen, whether it's Kapanen, I don't think anyone is is looking to move him for the sake of moving them. I think it's if you have a really good defenseman coming back, then I might have interest. Like one player who I've been a big fan of over the years is Hampus Lindholm, and I believe he's got two and a half years left. And Anaheim doesn't really seem like they're going anywhere. So, like, would they take a package of someone like Kapanen leading the way? Uh, you'd probably have to add to that pretty significantly, but. Uh, if you could get kind of a, a staple for your back end for the next two, three years, uh, I think you have to look at doing that just because of the forward depth they have. Now, I don't think that Engvall is quite as good as Janssen. Uh, I don't think Engvall is quite as good as, as Kappen. I think you're definitely taking a hit if you trade either player. They're good players. But like if you can get Lindholm... Uh, I don't know if I'd move him for someone like David Savard, but I am at the at the point where I think this team is so damn good offensively where if they can just add a, a pretty good defenseman, they got a, a pretty good chance here. Yeah, we're definitely in agree agreements there where if you're getting a guy like Lindholm and Janssen's kind of the main piece going back, I think I'm okay with that. But... I've just been seeing some some crazy proposals where Janssen's being given given up for either a backup goalie or for kind of a low end defenseman and just for the sake of it. So I think that's it's, I'm more in response to that. Yeah, we talked about we talked about the Janssen for Georgiev one. Uh, it's just not a team. It's not a trade I think makes sense for either team, just because like for the Leafs, Georgiev wouldn't really play much. Um, and for the Rangers, like they'd rather take a chance on the goalie because it's the most valuable position in hockey. So, um, yeah, I do agree that I think the Janssen for a backup was kind of ridiculous. But um, whether it's like Lindholm, someone like Josh Manson, uh, it is like Ras- Rasmus Anderson is one of my favorite players to watch. I just think he's really good defensively. Now, I don't think the Flames would move him. He's playing with Giordano a lot. I think they like him, but uh, if there is a, a forward for defense trade out there, it seems like it's either going to be Kapanen or Janssen going the other way, um, just because they do have trade value because they're good players, but they're not quite in the in the Nylander range in terms of value. So I'll, I'll be curious to see what they do at the deadline. My guess is that they do something smaller. I don't know if Bracco goes, um, but... I do think that I would like to see something different on the back end. Uh, maybe you give Sandine a few more games, but uh, I, I do think that I'd be looking at at all options here, even if it's a, a high-end defenseman. It's just question, I guess, is are they available? Exactly, yeah. And I think they have enough depth forwards. And of course, as you said, everything should be considered, but... I think your main goal should be to trade one of those depth forwards, whether it be Bracco, um, even Pontus Aberg. I wouldn't. I'm kind of in between on Engvall. I've really liked how he plays, so I'm a little bit 
in between there. But I think the Leafs have options other than trading Janssen and Kapanen right now. Because even if you want to put Engvall in the top six, let's say in the playoffs, and have a um, have Engvall there, and you put Janssen on that third line, and all of a sudden you're... I know this is something that you've been talking about, having a Janssen, Kerfoot, Kapanen third line. That carries a ton of value. So I think having those two players, Kapanen and Janssen, for this year's team at least... Um, is very important to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt the value that Janssen and, Ker- and Kapanen have. It's like, it, it has to be a pretty darn good defenseman before it, it makes sense. Now, right. like, I don't think Aberg, you're not getting anything for Aberg. Um, but just having guys that can step up if you did make a trade um, and be at least competent, I think that's that gives them some, some ability in case a deal does come forward. Now, in terms of Bracco, I don't think he's going to have all that much trade value. I just don't think, like, five nine wingers that aren't that fast, I don't think that's the type of player that typically typically gets uh, overvalued in a trade. Uh, I, I've heard Dubas's ask is quite high. Um, I don't really blame him. Like, they don't really have a... a major reason to move him unless they get a pretty good deal, right? So, uh, unfortunately, we haven't really got to see him at the NHL level. I don't know if that's going to be in the cards this year. Uh, frankly, they don't really need his skill set right now. Like, He wouldn't get much power play time anyways. Uh, they kind of need 5-on-5 five five defense, I think, more than anything, and, that, and that's not really something he specializes in. So, uh, it's kind of a, a tough break for Bracco. He's going to have to stay in the NHL. I don't see a call-up uh, coming. Uh, maybe I'll be wrong. He, he does make some great passes down there with the Marlies, but uh, for me, it's it's just a matter of they need to make something happen on the back end, whether it's a rental like Vatnin. I like Joakim Ryan as a, as a depth option uh, from the Kings. Uh, I would love Rasmus Anderson if he ever became available. Uh, I, I do think when, like, the Nylander for Pessy trade was a little bit ridiculous for me, where I thought Nylander's just not only the better player, but I have more confidence in him, uh, just because of the like you know he's going to get 60, 70 points. Um, whereas I think with Kapanen, it's it's to the point where I'd, I'd certainly consider moving him uh, in a deal for someone like Pessy, in a deal for someone like Rasmus Anderson or or Lindholm. Like it's tough to know who will be shopped out there, but I'm definitely open to to almost anything. Another player I'll say is Dylan DeMello on Ottawa. Maybe a little bit more of an offensive defenseman, but because he's a rental, maybe that's the route you go. Um, I don't really know if I want to... Like my, my, my question is, how much better are they, are they than Sandine? Because if you're not getting a huge uh, benefit there, then you might as well just call up Sandine. Yeah, I think we're in... I definitely agree on kind of the level of defenseman that the Leafs would have to get back if Kapanen and Janssen are considered. Um, but yeah, I think that's an, another kind of tough thing that you could even say about Lilligren, where what level of defenseman are you going to get? Let's say if you trade a, a depth guy, a depth forward for a defenseman, and how much better is that defenseman than Timothy Lilligren, for example? And again, that's something that's a little bit difficult to kind of say because obviously Lilligren's been in the AHL and Sandine's been up in the NHL, but not for a very large sample. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought Lilligren up because obviously we just finished the World Juniors. 
there's a lot of hype around Sandine, but I do think that Lilligren's played very well this year. Uh, he does have the benefit of playing the right side. Um, he's like I wouldn't mind giving Lilligren a shot. I do think that I prefer Sandine as a prospect, but it, it's when I look at the blue line for next year, I see Sandine. I mean, I thought he looked pretty good in his NHL stint this year. I thought he played really well at the World Juniors. Obviously, he got defenseman of the tournament. Uh, I see Sandine on the roster next year. I see Lilligren on the roster next year. If not at the start of the year, then at some point during the year. Uh, and then you have Riley, Dermott, Justin Hall, who they just extended. Congratulations to him. So that's five. Like if they're, I just wonder, like when I when you think of Muzzin Barry, what do you think the odds are of re-signing each one? For me, I think Muzzin's probably, you know, three times more likely than Barry. Uh, but I will say that he is a left shot, so maybe that kind of helps Barry a bit. But where do you have the odds? If you asked me this, and I think we probably have talked about this on, you know, prior podcasts, especially right at the beginning, I would have said there's a high chance the Leafs re-sign Muzzin and maybe like, let's say a 30% chance they re-sign Barry, especially when Barry was struggling. Now, when I look at how kind of things have shaped up and Hall has been extended and he looks really good in that top four role, now I'm starting to look at both Muzzin and Barry and the chances that I feel that the Leafs are going to bring him back has really dropped, even Muzzin, because the Leafs already do have uh, Riley, Dermott, and Sandine, all players that surely will be on the team next year. So I wouldn't be surprised if they make a trade. Maybe they make the trade this year, but if they don't make it during the season, I think there's a high chance they make a trade for a right defenseman in the summer, and we see that defenseman play in the top six next year. So you'd have that defenseman, Hall, Lilligren on the right side, and then uh, Riley, Mazet, sorry, Riley, Sandine and Dermot on the left side. So that's where I'm at right now. Obviously, things can change. So you think they might resign neither player? Neither player. Wow. I think Barry's a goner at this point um, in terms of next year. That's why I'm kind of more open to, to trading for him. I know, like, we had this has been a, a topic before with James Van Riemsdyk where you're going into the playoffs, you have a player that has a significant amount of trade value as a rental, someone that would probably fetch a first-round pick. Uh, for me, I'm open to getting creative there, uh, whether it's trading Barry and, and getting something back that can that can still help you. Um, but when I look at Barry and his role in Colorado, I mean, he was a great power play quarterback there. He was a great offensive defenseman. But they had Kale McCarr coming on the right side. They had Gerard, who's very good on the power play. It just seemed like they didn't have as much of a role for him. And now I look at the Leafs going into next year, and when they're going to have Riley on one unit, they're going to have Erasmus Sandin on the other. You want him on your power play. Um, you still have Travis Dermott if, if one of the other two get hurt. You still have Lilligren who can play the power play if needed. Um, you still have Muzzin who's played a little bit of power play time. Uh, I don't really think that they want to spend the money on a power play quarterback. I think they are going to be looking at someone with a little bit more of a defensive presence out there. So I think Barry's pretty much a goner. I do wonder with Muzzin, just because of the age, it, it's I feel like his track record, he's going to command at least five years, maybe more. I don't know if I'm going to love that contract at the end of it. Uh, he's already 30. 
So if there is a trade out there that involved getting someone younger, getting someone with some some control, and you have to give up, I mean, I, I would imagine for that kind of player, you'd have to give up a Janssen or a Kapanen, uh, especially because they don't have their first round pick. But I am, I am interested to see where it goes, because if they do make a big move, I think that significantly hurts the chances of, of re-signing Muzzin. Yeah, and now you, you kind of have me thinking, since you're, I wouldn't say you're quite sure that Muzzin's going to come back, but you, you know, it seems like you, you feel like he might. Let's get a little crazy here. So let's say Muzzin re-signs with the Leafs. Let's say it's a, a pretty good contract that he's, he's staying in. It has some term. Now, okay. but not too much term. How open would you be to trading Morgan Riley, who, you know, we kind of know what he is. He's very good offensively, has his downfalls defensively. He'll be a UFA in 2022. And that might be a contract that I probably wouldn't sign him long-term after that. Now, how open would you be to tra- potentially trading Morgan Riley if you're getting a good right-handed defenseman back? So your left side would be Muzzin, Dermott, and Sandine, and your right side would be that defenseman, um, Hall, and Lilligren. So I'm open to it. I think I really like Morgan Riley. I think the Leafs really like Morgan Riley, um, not just as a player but as a person. Um, I do think that points can get overvalued, and especially when it comes with less than excellent defensive play. Um, Riley had 72 points last year. I think if he was traded, he would fetch a haul. Um, You would need to in order to move him. So I I do think there's a possibility that if you put Riley's name out there, that some team would just make you an outstanding offer. So I'm open to that and and re-signing Muzzin and getting a bit better defensively. Um, I just, it would be a hard move just because of how much I like Riley. I, I don't see the Leafs doing it for some reason, but I wouldn't have predicted that they would have traded Kadri at this time next last year. So I guess we need to be open-minded and at least consider it. Um, where are you at in terms of Morgan Riley? I think you bring a good, good point because the biggest thing that I felt, and obviously Morgan Riley's been good for the Leafs, but the big thing for me was how much of a leadership role it seems like he has and and I think Keefe and Dubis, especially Dubis, have a lot of respect for Morgan Riley and kind of how important he is to that locker room, especially. Now, you bring up Nazem Kadri brings up an interesting point because, I mean, clearly they're not, if they feel like the trade is there, they're not afraid to, to trade someone who has some sort of tenure. Now, for me... Uh, I'll push back on that a bit. So I think with Kadri, I think the... Back-to-back suspensions did it. Um, the reason I like, I think they went into the offseason thinking we're trading Nazem Kadri almost no matter what, hmm. um, because they did first try to trade him to Calgary. It sounds like for Jankowski and Brody or, or a package similar to that, which would have been a bit of a disaster. So I think they got a little bit lucky there. Um, I don't know what happened in terms of like Jankowski has I think one point this year, so I don't know what necessarily like I don't know if it was the pro scouting or or, Jankowski does have impressive defensive numbers maybe they thought a little bit more highly of him offensively Um, but the Leafs are a little bit fortunate that didn't happen and then even once that once Kadri blocked that trade they still moved him so 
like I, I find it was tough. It would have been tough going into a, a playoff series knowing that any little thing Kadri does is going to be under review because he has that reputation. And I think what Dubas said was, you know, the next one's not going to be any shorter. So uh, it is tough. But going into a playoff series, I do like that, you know, Kerfoot's probably going to be in all seven games. He's not going to get himself suspended. Um, and they got a, a defenseman in return. Now, I, I do think that Riley's on a little bit of a different level than Kadri in that regard. Like, I, I do think he'd be tougher to move. Um, but I am terrified of, of Riley's next contract. I will say that. Yeah, we'll agree there. I think that that next contract is, especially a guy that kind of, I don't want to say relies on his physical attributes, but a big part of Morgan Riley's game is his speed and his skating, and he he doesn't really have a big shot. I wouldn't even say he's that good of a playmaker. He's usually the pass before the pass that scores, so usually kind of gets those secondary assists. But he gets himself into situations where he can generate good scoring chances, and that's through his skating. So as he gets older, and he'll be 28, yeah, give or take, when he signs that next contract. So his next contract's most likely going to be a few years, and is going to take him into his 30s. So yeah, that contract might get a little ugly, and I'm hoping that the Leafs aren't the ones who sign it. It's like the Yossi deal. He's already 29. He signed for eight years at... I think it's 9.05. So, like, I, I, I'm i not a huge fan of spending, you know, eight and a half, nine million on a defenseman. Um, especially not one that's kind of solely relying on their offensive game and isn't incredibly well-rounded. Um, so, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Leafs are, are equally as scared to make a move, but uh, I would be, it would be tough to see Riley in another jersey. Let's just say that. Yeah, and I think we're almost kind of used to it now. Like with when Kessel first left, that was tough to see him in a Pittsburgh jersey, and especially with even with Kadri, you know, him in an Avs jersey looks it just looks odd to me. But I think those players probably hurt a little bit more if than if Riley left, in my opinion. But they're gonna have to make a big decision because Dermot looks like he's twenty three now. He's a guy that a lot of people, including myself, feel like he should he'd probably do well in a top four role. Sandin is improving so much every year, still very young, obviously, and looks like he's going to be in a top four role. So Riley's kind of that player where, you know, the clock is ticking with, in terms of him and, and how how will the Leafs kind of sort that out. Yeah, if you move Riley, I think you're looking at like Lindholm on Anaheim. Seth Jones would be tough to get. He's got three years left. Um, but Maybe like it's got to be a, a pretty darn good defenseman and, and someone who you're a little bit more comfortable paying. Um, there's not a ton of teams that are going to be prepared to make that deal. Um, like someone like Pareko would make some sense, uh, but there's just not a ton of options in terms of defensemen that could potentially be traded and are good enough to trade Riley for. So. I will say I think it's a little bit unlikely. Definitely. Um, I want to get into, I want to get into Sandine here. I know we've we've talked about his NHL chances here. Uh, we we did. He did just win a bronze medal for Sweden. He did just win defenseman of the tournament. How much did you get to watch of Sandine over these last two weeks? And what did you think of what you did see? It was definitely a little tough to to watch the games live, especially with you know when they're happening at one o'clock and and in the morning. So. 
watching them live was a little bit a little bit hard but I was able to see a, a decent amount especially the replays at night but I was really impressed with Sandy and I mean I, I think everyone expected him to be one of the better players at the tournament and we see him with in the AHL and how he dominates down there and, and he did quite well this year with the Leafs so we expected him to do well and he's almost surpassed my expectations being one of the best defensemen um, at the tournament which I mean something that wasn't too surprising but uh, one thing I was surprised with him was uh, he, he isn't really a big goal scorer. So it was nice to see him get kind of become a, a, a get a few goals at this tournament. So I think that was probably the most surprising thing with him. Yeah, I'll say that he had a rough giveaway against Finland in the first game and kind of bounced back from there. So Sweden was in the easier group this year. Uh, it did look like he was a little bit bored at times, like, I think they played Switzerland, uh, Slovakia, Kazakhstan. Like he just kind of seemed like he had no business being there, um, and it, it almost felt like I could play goalie for the Swedes in those games because the guy looked bored. Like Sandin looked bored, the goalie looked bored. Uh, Sweden was just giving up no chances. Um, I don't think they really had a ton of forward talent this year. Now they they handled the checks, and it's kind of a shorthanded Czech team uh, in the quarterfinals. Uh, obviously, they lost to Russia in, in heartbreaking fashion, but I just didn't think they had the forwards this year. Uh, Gustafsson's a very good two-way forward. Uh, Samuel Fagamo was one of the best scorers in the tournament. Uh, I, I've always been a big fan of him. And then Hoglander was exciting to watch, but once he got ejected from that Russia game, I just didn't think they had the scoring depth. Now, they have Raymond, they have Holtz. Those are pretty impressive players, but they're 17, so... Give them another year or two. Um, I think next year those will be big players for Sweden. But I thought Sandin really stepped off offensively. Uh, some of that is probably just shooting luck and bad goaltending. I, I didn't think that it was they were like highlight real goals or anything. But uh, I, I do think that he excels at some of the less flashy parts of the game, whether it's that first pass, whether it's kind of eluding four checkers, making passes on his backhand. Uh, just his vision in the neutral zone, uh, his ability to jump up. So I do think, I think he was like fourth in the tournament in scoring. Fourth or fifth, he was up there. Um, I do think it was well-deserved and almost a little bit expected just be based on what we've seen from him, whether it's the Leafs or whether it was with the with the Marlies. Yeah, and with Sandine, I agree with you know your assessment there. He also does a lot of little things really well and... He's, he's such a clever player. Today he got caught with it, but one thing I want to highlight, he, he makes these little picks for his players, and he, he's probably a really easy player to play with. Like I would love to be his defense partner. Where, for example, today like the his player was his defense partner was wheeling behind the net, and he did one of his little picks, and he got caught for it because he kind of they slammed into the boards. I don't know if you saw that. The best uh, job in hockey is Sandin's defense partner, just because he, he generates so much time and space. I thought Soderstrom had a pretty good tournament. Uh, he was paired with Soderstrom the whole, basically the whole event. Uh, it wasn't maybe the result they hoped for, but I think getting a medal when they were a little bit weaker on forward this year uh, was great to see. Uh, obviously, it came at the expense of Miko Kokinen, who I think isn't quite the same puck mover as Sandine, isn't quite the same offensively, but seemed to earn some trust defensively. Uh, he's a left shoot, left shooting defenseman that played the right side. Uh, he's still eligible for next year's tournament, so 
Uh, we'll see if, if maybe we see a little bit more offensively from him next year. Uh, I think it was not a ton to talk about from Kokanen, but the one, the other league's prospect in this event was Nick Robertson. Now, they lost in the quarterfinals to Finland, but uh, I don't know how much of, of Robertson's game you caught, but from everything I saw, we have good reasons to be encouraged. Yeah, with Robertson, I didn't get to watch him too much. I saw the highlights quite a bit, um, and there were a ton of them, but... Just looking from the outside, it was nice to see him get the ice time that he was getting, and it seemed like he was really trusted by his uh, by his coaches throughout this tournament. Even whether that was a mistake or not, you know, he was played over over Caulfield and some other good players. But he had a really good tournament. He had some some highlight real goals, and it was nice to see. Yeah. So from from that Team USA team, I will say that there were some very questionable coaching decisions at the start. Uh, they weren't playing Trevor Zegras much. Uh, they weren't really playing Caulfield with any sort of playmaker. Um, they weren't really giving him a ton of power play time. Uh, so there was certainly some mistakes made from the coaching staff, and I do think it cost them. But in terms of Robertson, that really wasn't one of the mistakes of the coaching staff. They loved Robertson. He was playing in a top-line role. Uh, I don't think that looked like a mistake whatsoever. He is a energizer bunny out there, great on the forecheck. Uh, he's got a shot that can kind of beat you at any given moment, even if it's like he can come down on the rush and just curl and, and drag and just snipe. Like it's almost like a Matthews like talent where he's he can he's kind of dynamic enough to beat you at any moment. And because he's so trusted defensively, because he works so hard, I think he's going to be an NHLer in, in some capacity. Um, they weren't, I mean, it's almost similar to a few years ago where like Team Canada had Barzell, Marner, Dylan Strome, I think Dermot was on the back end, and they lost to, to Finland. So, I mean, anything can happen in this kind of tournament, and, and we saw it this year. I do think that the states were a lot better than uh, we saw. I think if you, if you played this tournament, you know, 100 times over, I think the states would you know, maybe win 25 of them, maybe win 30 of them. Um, they're, I mean, they do have those types of players, but from all, from all accounts, it's, it's very encouraging to see Robertson having this type of success. And Robertson's eligible for the tournament next year in, in Red Deer in Alberta. So get ready for that. Yeah, I think I'm glad that we don't have very many Habs listeners because I don't think they're going to be too happy that, uh, you said that it wasn't a mistake for Robertson to be on that top line, especially when they were watching Caulfield. For me, like for Caulfield, it was more Wallstrom because they both play in the Ovechkin spot in the power play. Um, Wallstrom was the right wing on the top line. Caulfield was being played on both wings. Uh, he he should have been playing with Turcotte or, or Zegris, I think. Uh, it was just a bit of a mess. I don't really know what they were thinking. Um, I am happy to see... Canada win. I thought they were the best team in the tournament. Uh, I thought Russia was the second best team in the tournament. Um, any final thoughts on that gold medal game? Because for me, it was a, it was quite the thriller. Yeah, I'm just hoping that that camera gets a gold medal after all is said and done. That was it does deserve potentially one. the biggest play. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I think it looked good with one. Yeah, I, I thought it was funny when Ferraro was talking about it, and he was like. Oh, that's actually the the TSN uh, camera. So that's the one that we use. <laughs> the TSN turning point was actually TSN. They got a huge yeah, break that's, there. That was, that's one of the best tweets. I'm glad that you said the TSN turning point from Down Goes Brown. That might be one of the best tweets I've ever seen. Yeah. 
it, it might be. I think <laughs> I think with that Canada team, like I just want Lafreniere out of the division. Um, Byfield didn't even play. I don't think. I think he was dressed but didn't play in the final. But uh, I'm interested to see if if people kind of turn on him now. I think he's incredible. I've seen him at the Olinka. Uh Just a big center that can skate and carry like you wouldn't believe. He kind of put on a show at the Olenka. I think uh, they should, probably should have used him more, but um, I understand why they just ruled three lines. Um, I thought, I mean, Bernard Docker looked, looked pretty good on the back end. Ty Smith looked pretty good on the back end. Jamie, Jamie Drysdale is a draft-eligible player who's probably going to go in the top five. Looks incredible. Uh, unfortunately, at this time of year, when you're seeing Lafreniere, Byfield, and Drysdale, and then guys like Stutzel on, on Germany, Lucas Raymond, uh, you get a little bit nervous because the Sens are towards the bottom of the standings, the Red Wings are in dead last, and, and even the Habs now are, are towards the bottom of the standings. So uh, I'm hoping for some draft lottery luck for teams like L.A., uh, teams like Win- Minnesota. Minnesota could really use some young talent. Let's just keep Lefrenier and Byfield out of the division. Yeah, I think this division is good enough. Like, I think they have enough stars. We don't need any more, so I agree with that. But before we go, I wanted to ask one question because we're now starting to... The, the division is starting to take shape, especially for the playoffs, and it looks like the Leafs are going to have their old friends in the first round, whether it be the Tampa Bay Lightning or even Boston, the Boston Bruins if they keep playing the way that they are and, and Tampa and the Leafs keep rolling. It could get interesting. So my last question will be, who would you rather play in the playoffs, the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Boston Bruins? You go first. Do you want me to go first? I know this is this is a this is a tough one, but I'll go Boston Bruins. And I know a lot of people. I've I've put this poll out twice in the last couple months, and both times, around fifty eight to sixty one percent of voters voted for Tampa Bay Lightning. So I'm going to go against that, and I'm going to go with the Boston Bruins now. When I look at the last past two series against the Bruins, I think they're very different. Last year, the Leafs had a five-man unit to go up against the, the Bruins' top line of uh, Marchand, Pasternak, and, and Bergeron. So this year, I think they've almost upgraded it, where if they go with, let's say they go with Marner, Tavares, Hyman, a line that did very well against them last year, now they have Muzzin and Hall, who I think is an upgrade from Muzzin and Zaitsev, and that's not really saying much, but... I think that that five-man unit is very good, and I think they can really shut down that Bruins top line in a similar way to they did last year. And we've seen it from we've seen it this year where this Bruins team is mostly that top line, and I think the Leafs can outplay the second, third, and fourth line well enough that they can take Boston this year. Now, when I look at Tampa, they're a lot more of a balanced team, and kind of play a similar style to the Leafs where they're also very fast and they can keep up with the Leafs and so I will go with Boston for now um that is subject to change as both are very good teams yeah I was gonna say Boston as well I think Tampa is the best team in the east so um after last year I know that sounds a bit funny to say after they got swept by the Blue Jackets but I just look at that roster Kucherov Stamkos point uh, they're just, they not only have star power up there, but they're also deep. And then, I mean, Vasilevsky's a good goalie. Uh, Victor Hedman, Ryan McDonough, 
Mikhail Sergachev. Like, I just see so many uh, stars on that team that they terrify me. I think with Boston, yes, they got off to such a great start, and, and yes, they beat the Leafs in a couple playoff series here, but I do think that the Leafs could have won that last year, uh, especially if Kadri hadn't gotten suspended. Um, as you said, like, you'd have Muzzin Hall now against that top line, and the Leafs have a pretty clear depth advantage. Uh, the other thing is, I think Gardner was like playing at like 20% last year in the playoffs. He was really banged up. Dermott was banged up. Hyman was banged up. Um, but I guess there's a lot of time left because we don't know what these teams will do at the trade deadline. Uh, we don't really know what will happen in terms of injuries with Tampa and Boston. But for me, my I would say I'd rather play Boston, but ideally the Leafs come first and they have they play neither. So I guess that's my my ultimate hope. Um, before yeah. <laughs> we still have to do what we do every week here, which was the the look ahead at the next week. So they play Edmonton at home, Winnipeg at home, and at Florida on Sunday. So of those three games, how many do you need to be happy? How many points do you need to be happy? At this point, I mean, to be happy, I'll say four, but I'm expecting this team to get all five or six because they're they're on a roll right now. Um, I wouldn't say that those teams are, you know, elite or very good right now, but uh, Florida will be a tough game. I mean, a team that's playing relatively well and a team that's in the, in the division and right on the Leafs' tail, so you need a win there. Um, Edmonton, I mean, kind of a team that I would expect the Leafs to win, and the last one's Winnipeg? Uh, yeah, Winnipeg's the middle game. Middle game, okay, yeah, and that's a game that, you know, you you have to expect the Leafs to win, especially how they played them uh, earlier this week. Yeah, I'll say four as well. I think Winnipeg defensively, whether it's, I mean, Buffalo's not there now, uh, they traded Truba, I think the Leafs can kind of take advantage there. Um, I do expect them to win that game, especially at home. I think Edmonton's actually separated McDavid Dreisaitl, it looks like, so I'm interested to see how that looks, because it does look like they have a pretty good second line. They, they I think they have Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, and they called up Kaylor Yamamoto. So that could be a line, it looks like. So uh, I think Clefbaum is mispracticed. I don't know if he's in, but either way, I expect to beat Edmonton at home. So um, like even three, I'd probably be happy just because, I mean, it's been such a great stretch here, but I'll ultimately say four. So uh, any last thoughts on this next week before we get out of here? I think I just want to see um, how that fourth line and the, and the third line and some of the Marlies guys that have come up, uh, how they play. I mean, Adam Brooks, I think I've been quite impressed with him. He's a very strong two-way player. He can makes a lot of dis- good decisions throughout the, you know, in all three zones. Mason Marchman is a player that I think I want to see a little bit more from. He's, I have said in the past that I don't think that he should be called up. Um, I'd, just want to see a little bit more from him in terms of his his puck carrying and and just more aspects to the game other than he's very good ta- he's very good at takeaways he can play that physical style he's a decent finisher but I wanted to see a little bit more and now that he's come up to the NHL I think that still holds true in 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 my opinion so I want to see more from him before the Leafs become healthy and he sent is sent back to the Marlies yeah that's a good good point so I'll say with Marchment he's played like. 650 against Winnipeg, 821 against the Islanders. I don't like him with Goche very much. Uh, I just think 
like if Marchman's up, you have his size, you have his physicality. I don't really know if you need Gauthier on that fourth line. Uh, I'm kind of over the Gauthier experiment. Um, when Keith first got the job, he was scratching Gauthier quite a bit. Um, then we had some injuries, and he's back in the lineup. I hope when they're healthy that he's not in the lineup. Uh, in terms of Brooks, I thought he played well against Winnipeg. I don't know if he's hurt or if he's just been scratched. Um, he's not all that fast. He's not all that... doesn't really have the physical tools in terms of length or reach, sorry, or uh, or even just weight or playing a heavy style. But uh, he's always been a, a pretty smart player. So I guess I'm hopeful that he has a good career. I really like Brooks. I'm, I'm cheering for him here. Um, but like, I wouldn't mind seeing like a Brooks, like the, the line, the fourth line when they won the Calder was Brooks, Marchment, Moore. So it'd be kind of cool if we, uh, if we saw that one. Yeah. I was actually, I was thinking about that earlier too. And I was just hoping that Moore comes back into the lineup before, um, you know, some of the other injuries also resolve so that we can see that fourth line. So yeah, that was a good uh, a good last point here. So with that, we will get out of here for this week. We'll look forward to seeing what Brooks, Marchman, and the Leafs can do in this next week. And uh, we'll see everyone next week.